Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Meta, a podcast about podcasts, and I'm Peter Wells. And today I'm joined by Tim Ross, who has a new podcast out all about the tapestries that once hung in the Sydney Opera House. It, it was a show that was made in collaboration with the Sydney Opera House. It's called House Stories, and it really does highlight one of Tim's obsessions and and also why he's one of my favourite comedians in Australia. There's a couple of swear words in this episode, not too many. I'd say maybe three all up, but they are the... Uh, it's the F word. I'm, gonna be, I'm not going to lie. So if that kind of language is something you don't want to hear in front of your kids, then fair enough. Uh, don't listen to this one in front of them. But... I think it'll be okay for most people. Uh, it's it's generally in context. Anyway, without any further ado, here is my conversation with Tim Ross. All right, well, thank you, uh, Tim, for, for being here. Pleasure. Last time I saw you, Tim, it was at a, a an antiques furniture store in Northcote in Melbourne. It was a benefit for the bushfires that had just kind of raged through the east east coast of Australia. And, and I remember sitting there thinking, <laughs> this year can't get any worse. <laughs> I think one of the things, the pure irony of that moment, within a week and a half, within a week, I think, of doing that, I did a little bit of auctioneering for some friends who got a great restaurant in Sydney called Porteño, and they did a huge, huge benefit for the bushfires. And of course, you know, first people to rattle the, rattle the can, always are the performers. It's always the art. They're the first. Um, and HOSPO. And of course, the, 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 who would have thought that, um, particularly for hospitality and certainly for some section of the art, that um, the shoe would have been on, on the other foot. It's been disappointing in some ways, I suppose, that some of the same thoughtfulness hasn't come back towards second se- sections of the industry, of certain industries that always give time and money and whatever. So it's that, there's a sadness in that, I think, at the moment, particularly for the art, I think. Absolutely, I think I think the the community misunderstanding. Yeah, the community uh, has been pretty supportive. I think of of both industries. It's, oh yeah, it's just such a damn shame that uh, so many industries are almost purposefully left out. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I, I used to work in higher ed up until a couple of weeks ago, so um, yeah, I know all about uh, being ignored. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. But yeah, so uh, Tim, tell me about the the new podcast, mate. I mean, I, I know that podcasts are the the quintessential kind of niche m- market, but a podcast about <laughs> <I'd say things. laughs> a podcast about uh, curtains hanging in a in an opera house that, that, that that's uh that's right up there. Well, I say this, and I say, well, you know, when everyone goes, well, then well, don't be the person who tells me that I should watch a documentary about a fucking octopus because um, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> I don't reckon there's anything more niche than a man patting a fucking octopus. So, but that's, a, it's a great, I suppose, it's a great example of a great story is a great story, just despite what, what it is. And I'm a reasonable, reasonably personally late comer to podcasting. You know, a million years ago in the very early days of podcasting when I was still working in radio, I was fascinated by the uh, opportunities, I suppose, 
as a broadcaster to to do that, to, to, to be a little bit more niche and had a quite bonkers podcast called Original Pirate Material, which I used to do in the old American Rosso days. And for a period of time, that was the number one podcast in the country. Uh, there wasn't many of them out there at the time, but but I, 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 saw, I suppose the, the interesting thing was is that I, I understood its potential straight away. But in recent times, I've, I've been less interested uh, because I love working life because I've spent in many ways uh, uh, too much of my life behind a microphone. But this year changed all that because I couldn't do all the things I wanted to do. And like doing those shows and funny little antique furniture stores and mid-century modern furniture stores. And so this is the first of a bunch of different projects that I've got up this year that are sort of digital based for that reason. And I, it had happened pretty quickly when I watched all the things that I had planned disappear, a national tour for a live show and all sorts of other things disappear. And so I, I, I made contact with the opera house and I'd been invited to when they put the curtains, the, the tapestry, two of them back on display, uh, the John Coburn tapestry. And I own a John Coburn tapestry. So that sort of is part of the connection to, to tapestries. And as a person who is a nutty modernist, there's a strong tradition of tapestries making a resurgence. There was a, a resurgence in tapestries in the middle of the late 20th century. Architects loved them and, and they tended to find a home in modernist buildings. Harry Seidler famously had a bunch of them in Sydney. So they, they do have that connection. I think everyone likes art in one way or another. But anyway, so I met, I met there and I saw them there and I heard the story and it always stuck in the back of my mind. I thought, you know what? This is a good story. You know, how these ta- there's these two tapestries commissioned for the Opera House. Great Australian artist takes his family to France. They have a fantastic time there. Formative. Incredibly romantic experience, I think, for a bunch of Australian kids from the northern beaches to go to France in the late 1960s as teenagers and while their dad's an artist. And so that, that appealed to me as a, a father with young kids, the romance of doing that. And then that the curtains were made and then they were incredibly popular, but they were taken down because some of the arts groups didn't really appreciate them in some ways. They thought they clashed with the performances. So I thought, this is a great story. You know, first week of lockdown pretty much hit, hit up the uh, opera house and uh, they say yes. And so that's why we're here today. So it took a while for us to get into putting them all together, but there's four tapestries in the opera house and all of and it, uh, two of them by John Coburn, one by Le Corbusier, and the other one by Jan Utzen. Um, so they've all got wonderful stories, and they all represent something about great about the Opera House. And it's sort of, I'm, I'm sort of obsessed. I'm sort of obsessed with the Opera House in some way. Mm. You can't get sick of it. You can't get bored of it. It never fails to impress. And being someone who's been lucky enough to perform there a couple of times, it's certainly out of my skin. Yeah, it's a fascinating building because, uh, um, I mean, obviously <laughs> that goes without saying, but um, the, the fact that it is still almost uh, under construction, you know, we're, we're still finding things that, uh, that, that were in the original plans that were never seen through. You know, what is it about this building that, that uh, a tapestry can be specifically designed for this space and then yanked down? Uh, that just blows my mind. Yeah, and I think there's something about, there's something about the building that that just stirs up controversy and all the time, and it disappoints people associated with it in some ways. You know, it's broken a bunch of people's hearts, mm. and I think that's fascinating because, and then it's made a bunch of people really, really happy. 
And they, it's a, the building evolves, constantly evolves, and it will be around for hundreds of years. And the way that we see theatre will change in some ways and it will adapt and it will adapt well and it will still have huge shells. But in 200 years, what, they, what it looks like inside could be once again something completely different as well, bigger, smaller. Who knows, but it will certainly survive unless someone drops a bomb on it. And so it's, 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 it's an incredibly important building for us. And the idea that we could put something in there that was beautiful and the, the Coburn tapestries were used in terms of marketing the building. They became synonymous with sales in some ways in those early days. And all those people, well, I wasn't there, but all those people who saw them in situ when they were a kid or whenever they went, everyone loved it. The idea that you, there's a big explosion of colour when you come into the, into the opera house to get you ready for the performance. And they certainly did that, but it's been a while, you know, my uh, knowledge of uh, Australian theatre is, is, is pretty limited apart from some of my studies in drama at the Trove University. But I, I think that I get it that the styles of theatre weren't exactly, the idea of a, a curtain was not something that was, was popular with theatre in the modern period, I suppose. So, you know, the idea of going to see a play and the curtains open and things happen um, is a very old-fashioned one and certainly wasn't, you know, I mean, we've all been to plays where you walked in there and then there's a scrim and there's people frozen on stage or mm-hmm. sitting on a beanbag or doing something or rather. So, you know. One empty chair and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, didn't need curtains or whatever. So, yeah, and they're so big, it's hard to put them anywhere else. Yeah. Huge, huge, huge. Well, I'm glad that. So, so, are they actually going to to get back to their rightful place, or they're impossible to use? Tapestries are great for hanging, but not so great for moving. And so, they don't work particularly well if you have to move them all the time. They so would they could just be hanging somewhere. So that's one of the reasons that they're, they're not particularly practical. They're not fit for purpose in some ways. And the, the major problem is that they don't fit anymore, even if they did want to use them. Right. Um, right. They don't fit um, in the theatres and the way the theatres have changed. And so there's also the conservation part of it is how long, how, long, how long can they survive for if you continue to use them in that way? How long do we keep them and how do people see them? So the way that if they keep bringing them out once every two years and putting them up, they'll survive for a thousand years. But the, 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 the interesting thing about how we conserve things is that what do we do? Do we do, do we go hell for leather and let everyone see them for a shorter period of time or do we ration it out? Mm. At some stage, sooner or later, they will turn to dust. Um, we can delay that. So that, that's a challenge. And I, I think I think it'd be great for them to have a sort of purpose-built sort of space, uh, theatre or something. There was some sort of museum or gallery for them, but that's unlikely to happen. And there's not enough. There's not a space not to hang them in the theatre because of the size. You can't hang them anywhere else in the building, yeah, um, yeah. but they deserve, they deserve, people deserve to see them, I think. Yeah. Because they're amazing. Mm, I'd love to see something like the Powerhouse Museum having a, a dedicated wing to this kind of thing. Uh, you know, if, if you go to MoMA or some, something like that in, in New York, they're, they're, they've got whole floors dedicated to uh, modern architecture and modern design. And, um, and you know, the Powerhouse has a little bit of that. It has some of, in fact, it has some of the icons that you've used in your stage plays over the, over the years, the, you know, the cafe bar. Yeah, it's got a, it's, yeah, the cafe bar and the, the stack at. Mm. Um, the, uh, funnily enough, where I'm talking to you right now is uh, the shared office that my wife and I have in Nelson Design uh, in Sydney. 
we we um sublet the space off them because they don't need the they don't they man they're industrial designers and it's actually in where I'm sitting now is where they designed the cafe bar. Yeah, right, right. The first model to put together. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, so there we go. But uh, the is also where they did the first prototypes of the pedestrian button. But yeah, so I think I think that I think you're right. I think that somewhere like the Powerhouse Museum would be fantastic for it. And those moments of simple moments, there's a that's, that's a sort of a broad, huge brushstroke of Australian history in order in terms of something as remarkable as as a, as a tapestry as these pieces of art, but are as important as things like the first stack hats, which um speaking about disintegrating. So the white stack hat in its box that's in the powerhouse museum that they haven't put it in the freezer like they've put the collection of speedos. Mm-hmm. So all the speedos, original speedos are frozen to stop them from disintegrating. Um, they haven't done that same thing in the stack hat. So I'm sure you remember the black foam mm-hmm. inside the stack. There's a, there's a, there's a, <laughs> that you'd be picking out of your material. hair. Yeah, when you got yeah, home. the material a... that goes, there's, a, there's, there's <laughs> the foam and then there's a black material. All that's disintegrating yeah. in the stack hat. Um, and so most people would say, oh, well, what does it matter? Well, you could say that about anything. You know, the fact that you have to be, I like when I would be at the museum and I had to pick the stack hat up to use it for a photo shoot, I had to wear white gloves to pick up a stack hat, which is absurd. But, you know, ultimately, these, these are artifacts of the future. Yeah. And at some stage, people will look at them and go, God, what was that thing? What, what? So that was a stack hat. Have a stacker. It's the hat you wear if you have a stack. Bloody brilliant. <laughs> have you seen the the news that uh, a Robin Boyd house in uh, in Melbourne is facing demolition at the moment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of his. Wasn't his first house for himself or something? Yeah, yeah. Know the Wood House. Was, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's not surprising. I think that one, if I remember rightly, the owners have just sort of been letting it sort of, you know. Demolition by neglect. Yeah, right, right. One of the oldest tricks in the book. Yeah, I thought I, I would have thought we were particularly in Melbourne, we would have got past this at the moment. But with the waters muddied, muddied so much by this year and the virus, yeah. I, I think trying to fight for heritage at the moment is the most impossible. I think it just seems trivial to most people. And 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 how do you even and, do it? I mean. <laughs> You can't. You can't exactly. Yeah, and how do you how do you how do you get how how do you get people ex- excited about saving something when they're worried about their jobs and their, the, the the welfare of their loved ones and fear and other things sort of just loom a little bit larger in their lives. So I, yeah. I think um, it's a difficult time for for heritage. We just got to get better at telling the stories and 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 get better at reminding people why reminding people why these things are important. Because it's not just one house, and one house becomes two houses, becomes five houses, and they're all gone. And in the future, we go, why? Why do we do that? Mm. Why? Why do, we, why do we think that was okay? But you know, greed always comes into play in this situation. So, twenty twenty must have been pretty devo. I've uh, spoken to quite a few different comedians over the last couple of weeks about, and they all tell me the same story that you know they had this this run of shows planned, and and uh, and then suddenly. It was all taken away from them. How did you cope in those uh, those original couple of weeks when when you started realizing? Oh yeah, I mean, it went yeah, it went pretty early for me when I came home and had a bit of a cry, and then my wife had um, stopped crying, Mm -hmm. and then I just I just I I had a list of things. I thought, what can I do 
that doesn't involve me doing what I normally do. So, and I had a whole bunch of projects in the head and I, I, I've got a funny little business anyway. I always do weird things. So I just adapted a little bit mm-hmm. um, and we just ramped up what we do in terms of production. So you're doing, I mean, so I've got another podcast coming out that I've just finished the National Gallery called Constant, which is about how Australian art can be a constant in our lives. So that, that, was, a, that was a great project as well, actually. I love doing that. And a really experimental podcast in terms of thinking about it in terms of a, a digital exhibition rather than a podcast. So some of them are story-based, some of them are interview-based, some of them experiment-based, but they're all interesting in one way or another and all. So I love doing that. So continuing my work with the National Archives, and so we're creating, taking their, their certain images and, from their collection and turning them into film, so either making documentaries or, or just interpreting them in a different way. So that'll be an ongoing series. So yeah, I just, I just anything like anything where I didn't happen to have an audience, I just went for um, <laughs> anything you could do with so, a and a road microphone and a... yeah, and so yeah, so it's my life has been about recording things, putting them in a Dropbox where it used to be about getting in the front. <laughs> and so I've enjoyed the, I've enjoyed the art of, of crafting audio and, you know, I've been sort of, we've got a, I've got a full, I've got an incredibly talented young guy working for me who I used to work with in the radio industry. And he's a, he can shoot and edit. And he also is, he started off as an audio engineer, so he can do everything. And so poor bugger, he's been flat chat all year. <laughs> so this, this, look, I think you, there's two ways. If you are, aren't flexible if you don't if you're not innovative as a performer you're all oh, everything's always tricky mm. it's much easier there's great pathways to audience but if you what i haven't spent much time investigating is, is replicating what i what i do in this space i've been less interested in selling tickets to live events i've been happy to wait it out and do different things that may change as time goes on i don't know I'm prepared to investigate that but I, I it's not something that i i think as a performer, I find particularly compelling for myself. So I don't. I think if I don't love the idea of doing it, it's going to show in terms of yeah. how I would I would do it as a performer. So enough of us have been in enough shitty Zoom meetings over the last six months to realise the fucking limitations of a performance tool. Yeah. So um, doesn't mean that those things that people have done and and been happy to support them, but it, it just hasn't been for me. Yeah, I think I think but, you know you've got yeah. you've got to embrace what the tools are. Yeah, and, and when you're living in a digital like if your only tools left are digital tools, then yeah, I think mm. it makes a lot of sense to throw in as much time and effort in into that. Yeah, and I think for me that was being able to make some films for for, for different people. You know, a TV project that's that's finishing up, which has been you know a lifesaver as well. And uh, in, in this time, not not being a touring artist has been surprisingly pleasant in lots of ways. Yep. My family recognised me and <laughs> sort of stick with me. Yeah. I missed interaction. I got back on stage recently and I, I really enjoyed it. But, you know, like it, it is hard with a smaller crowd. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask like, um, uh, about the, the family life when, when you're suddenly home a hell of a lot more than you expected. I think I realised I was just away a lot more than I thought. I don't feel like I missed things. and I was good when I came back. But it's just been nice to be be around a lot and I was always around when I was back but I might be away one day a week and I never go on huge tours you know gentlemen's tours we always call them but there was always something on you know and yeah someone's yeah. a reason to get on a plane to go and talk somewhere um 
uh, the biggest change for me is that in the past I hadn't looked at those situations as things to take the family to. It didn't always make sense sort of financially for some of those things. But now I go, you know what, if I'm going to go somewhere, like, you know, let's take the family, let's, let's do all that yeah. together. That's the biggest change because, I've, you know, it has been, I feel quite blessed to be able to spend as much time with the kids over the last few months. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One, one question that comes up uh, quite a bit in terms of architecture circles in, in Australia, I've always wanted to get your, your opinion on this, is uh, the Sirius building. Now, I know, mm-hmm. I know you've been part of the Save Our Sirius, the movement there, but I... My personal opinion as someone who grew up in a housing commission is I want to save it, but I want to save it as fucking houses. I don't, I don't want uh, rich people to be able to move in and get those amazing views. I want those views uh, to, for the rest of time, <laughs> or as long as that, that, that concrete yeah. stands to be given to housing commission residents. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think certainly as time progressed with my involvement, I, I think from, from early on when I started, we it was the architecture that brought me to the party, and that's and that's what uh, I initially thought was important. And then, of course, the more time you spend, and th- everything else that was going on in terms of the rocks in the area, and 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 basically taking a suburb where where people had had lived and grown up, and 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 moving them on, which wouldn't happen anywhere else in the world. It it changed for me. It's not that I didn't, I, and I still do appreciate the architecture, having it saved and then changed dramatically is better than it being bowled over. But it's it's a pretty ordinary consolation prize. And ultimately to me, I'll echo what you say, which is that it is more important that we have public it's 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 status as public housing than anything else on this architectural scheme. That's that 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 if 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 my view changed in anything was that it sadly represents a time where we cared Mm. We cared about people less than we do today. And I think the fascinating thing about the rocks is that it was those initial houses and terrace houses were all built so people could be close to their families. So they could come, work long hours and they could come home and see their families. And so if, and that was 100 years ago. So we're, we're actually more concerned then mm. than today. And so it's just a, uh, it, it's there's a deep sadness to it on so many levels, and um, it just should be so much better. It, and it, and it worked perfectly. People loved it. It was not notorious for crime by any stretch of imagination. There was no sort of stigma to the building. You know, lots of people had grown up there, and it was their home. And then that was no longer their home. Yeah, we should be better than that. I I totally agree. So so are there any other? You've mentioned a couple of projects now. The um, art gallery working with the Sydney Opera House. Actually, on, on that, it must be pretty amazing to, like you say, throw a bit of audio in Dropbox. And then I, I would imagine it's quite different, the audio that you get sent back once uh, audio engineers and sound designers and everyone else has had a chance to <laughs> have a bit of a poke at it. 
Well, uh, I mean, I quite enjoyed the craft of it. It was one of the things I really liked about radio, actually, and particularly my last years in radio. As I found the limitations of the medium, and I'd been doing it for a while, and it was like, oh, I like visuals. And so just speaking and audio was like, oh, you know, the reason I like architecture and and so trying to find ways to keep it exciting for me because I refuse to say, well, this is a job. I'm, I've been doing it for a long time. I'm bored of it. It was like, how can I find ways within this job to keep me challenged and interested? And so in the last couple of years, I worked really hard with a bunch of people I was working with in terms to craft really good, you know, whether they were sketches or interviews or whatever it was, parody songs, dumb, silly, sophisticated or whatever, um, working on the sound design of things. So one of the things I noticed when I came to podcasting was that I, I had a reasonable skill base that I hadn't been using. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I've interviewed a bunch of people over the years. So I can, I, can, I can interview people okay and I can string a story together pretty well. And I, so I also know, know sound-wise how to make things sort of sound good. So to jump around in that, it's pretty good. So I'm quite involved. And any time, I don't, I don't muck around with anything. And Ash, I work with, I said, oh, mate, I'm going to start editing. He goes, don't be stupid. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just tells me not to. Because I was never technically that involved with stuff because I'm of that generation of, you know, comedians who gone into radio and you, you know, someone else pushed the buttons and mm-hmm. that's expected. And if you learn how to do it, they'd make you do it. And so we just sort of avoided that. And people find that sort of quite bizarre and sort of charming, but I'm a relic from a, of another age. So there's sort of being quite tech savvy to a point, you know, do I need to do all those things? And he just said to me, he said, look, you know, you're much better at other things than wasting time chopping up interviews and just, you know, just tell me what you want, you know, how, how you want it to sound and we'll put it together like that. So, um, yeah, and there'll, there'll be no hands on me, whatever it is. And logic or, yep. Log, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Garage, band, Adobe, <laughs> blah, blah, whatever it is. I don't even know how it works. <laughs> the same with everything. I can edit up some film clips from a kid that's about it yeah fair enough fair enough i i still find myself dragged like i've got a guy who who polishes my my stuff at the end but i still end up finding myself editing and i fucking hate it but um like i hate doing it because i hate listening back to myself but yeah that's i think that's a tough thing as well yeah yeah but there's something um, about the storytelling yeah i think that's the tough that's the hardest thing and i've also found that uh you know I, i've done a few things where you've got where you're trying to present something together with someone else. And I found that really frustrating because it, it feels like radio to me. Then you're going, oh, which, we're both trying to tell a story or we're both trying to facilitate something. Whereas, you know, the sort of the one-on-one or a narrative nature and of, of storytelling sort of quite interesting or how you create radio plays, soundscapes, it's far more interesting than just three guys sitting around talking about what they had for dinner last night, which is I'm too old for that, doing that shit. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, look, I, th- I feel I've taken a lot of your time, so so we'll wrap it up in a second. I really can't. Uh, if there's anything else you want that's to... That's your sign. That's saying I'm boring you, Pete. No, Say that it. is you not know, true. You want some magic. <laughs> <laughs> Tell some jokes, beauty. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look. Hey, look. Uh, I've been to your live shows. I don't expect jokes from you. <laughs> oh, oh, bang. I, yeah, I mean, you know, it's occasionally it's like, oh, when are you gonna Oh, you've turned into one of those. <laughs> you got old and boring. Oh yeah. Just you know, it's like, oh God, he's like 
He's like a dad at the park. He'll just talk to you about World War Two. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, you know, like it's 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 just when you let the nerdy shit take control. But thankfully, you know, there's the world's got that. You know, it echoes back to what we we're talking about at the start about things being niche. It's allowed so many people to connect with other people. I think you know. I think I, I've met so many people. Amazing people through being interested in architecture and design, uh, you know, and uh, which I would never have dreamed of. For that. And and in a, in a far more meaningful way than people that I used to interview that were famous. So, and some of these people would be deemed as famous in their fields or, or or well known in some way. But because you've got a shared interest in something, the connection, the friendship bonds that are great. Which is, I always think, you know, everyone laughs at literally the plane spotters and the train spotters, and They've known forever what how the, what what's important in the world. They've had the secret forever. They they've found what they like, and that's going to the airport on a Saturday with a whole bunch of other people that like going to the airport. And you go, oh look, there's the fucking Boeing seven four seven coming in from Beirut. Uh, it's three minutes early, and they've changed the colouring of the plane. And I love that shit. Mm. And they and they're happy, and. Anyone who anyone who doesn't understand that or scoffs at them is misunderstood what's important in life, which is finding something you love and rolling around in it for as much as you can. Absolutely, for as long as you can. I agree. I agree. And I will. I will always think back with love to my stack hat because it did. It did save my head from <laughs> from quite a few bangs. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for your time, mate. Yeah, it, good. Good to chat, Pete. Thanks for reaching out, mate. All good. All good. All right, and uh, I'll I'll listen to a podcast about tapestry. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) Good on you, buddy. Talk soon, all right? Cheers. Don't be stranger. Bye. Thanks to Tim Ross for joining me today, and thank you to Lauren Watson for the artwork. Thank you to James Smith for just being you, and thank you to everyone out in podcast listener land. If you can throw a couple of stars our way on Apple Podcasts, that would make a massive difference, or just tell a friend uh, that you found a new show called Meta that helps you find other shows that you love. My name is Peter Wells. I'll speak to you next week. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.